the Word of God. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are the words of the living and true God. Thanks be to God. Roadsides are wonderful things. They aid many a driver in properly navigating back roads and highways, stop signs, yield signs, street signs, and one-way signs, are, they're all helpful, even if we're familiar with the area, but particularly when we're not. One of my favorite is the big, big yellow sign on Union Deposit Road with the oversized black arrow that declares without any hesitation that a significant turn is coming up for us drivers. In a way, Jesus is here putting up signs for the large crowd of people that were the audience in this part of his Sermon on the Mount. That collection of passages found in Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. His first sign that we see here in this text is about two ways to go in this world and into the next. There is the way of life through the narrow gate that leads to a narrow road, and there is the way that leads to destruction, which is through the wide gate that leads to a wide road. Enter by the narrow gate, Jesus is telling the folks gathered, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The narrow gate here is the one to enter. We are to avoid the wide gate. The narrow gate is the way that leads to life, Jesus is telling us. The wide gate is the way that leads to destruction. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, we get a little idea of what it means that he's talking about with the gate. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, the way is death. And we could really look at these gates as 
distinguishing between two ways of living. One is the way of God in Jesus Christ, and the other is the way that we think best, highlighting our life and what we think. The second sign that Jesus has here is about watching out for false prophets. These can be hard to spot at times since they often can appear as fellow sheep. Jesus tells those gathered on that hillside, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And we would go, no way. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not to worry. Jesus gives us a great sign on how to tell who are false prophets that are clothed as ravenous wolves. They're trying to disguise themselves as fellow believers. The sign which gives them away and exposes them is their fruit. We can identify them by the fruit of their lives. Just as healthy trees produce fruit that is true to their real nature and is rightly recognized, so it is with false prophets. They can only produce bad fruit that is not true to the reality of God and Jesus Christ. Good trees produce good fruit, while bad trees produce bad fruit. Watch for the signs God has given to us for fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit. As Paul describes in his letter to the body of Christ, to those believers that were in the region of Galatia, we find in chapter 5 of that book to the Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These, among others, will point the way to discerning a true prophet from the false prophets trying to hide their real identity. And then we come to the third sign. And this is where I'm going to focus the majority of the attention today. With this sign, Jesus is warning the people about what they are trusting in when they face the final judgment before God. And I would bear to say it's not just before the final judgment, which will be the ultimate destination, but it is for our everyday lives that we are aware and watching what it is and who it is that we are trusting. With this sign, Jesus is warning the people about what they are trusting in when they face this final judgment that we'll ultimately encounter. Jesus is bringing a warning against a false assurance as well as some instruction on what it is to be the priority in the lives of each of his believers. He is warning against false prophets. He is warning against the damage these false prophets do and the harmful teaching they bring to his people. So Jesus exposes the teaching of the false prophets that is contrary to the true, righteous, and life-giving teaching of God in Jesus Christ and his apostles. He says this, 
Now imagine as I get ready to read these last three verses that you are sitting there on the countryside. You have gathered to hear this new prophet, one who is different than the others have come. Jesus' apostles are with him, his disciples, but others have simply followed along. But this is primarily a Jewish audience, and they're listening to these things. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them. I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. With the first reading of this passage. It may appear that Jesus is talking. About salvation and fellowship with God. Through the works that each of us. Try to accomplish. But we will find this is not the case when the passage is appreciated more fully upon this closer examination. One prominent religious group in 1994 summarized their understanding of righteousness before God this way, and they used these last three verses to try and support their false teaching. They summarized it this way. Each one of us should hope with the grace of God to persevere to the end and to obtain the joy of heaven as God's eternal reward for the good works we have accomplished with the grace of Christ. There's much that might sound good when we first hear that. It's subtle. Is that really accurate teaching of what Jesus and his apostles concerning the true nature of his followers' relationship to God? It is a subtle false teaching that may not be noticed right away. But when we evaluate it by the fullness of God's word and when the fruit of this false teaching matures, just like when we take a narrow angle and we start to extrapolate early on, it doesn't look very big, but when we extrapolate it all the way out, we can see how deviated from the true nature it really is. It is clear to see that it is not good fruit, but instead really rotten fruit that only leads to eternal death. Can we really be rewarded with heaven and fellowship with God through the good works we do with the grace of Christ? Or is it only and absolutely upon the work of Jesus Christ received by God's gift of faith that his followers are brought into fellowship with God and ushered into glory into heaven. We could take a look at a great many passages within Scripture, but I just picked a few that I think are valuable for us to reflect on. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Romans three twenty-eight. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Romans 4, 5. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Is Christ teaching legalism here in these verses? 
Is Jesus teaching that his people achieve salvation through their obedience to the law? Or in other words, is Jesus teaching that his followers are rewarded with salvation and eternal life in heaven by their own works here on earth? I think without any hesitation, we need to say no. Not everyone who says to me, Jesus said, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. At first look, we, we might think, yeah, he's saying we've got to do the will of God, otherwise we're not going to go to heaven. And in some ways, it might look like works that we must accomplish to be pleasing in God's sight. These verses here are not a parable. This is a prophecy of Jesus about the final judgment. This is something that will take place, and he is warning us. It's like that big road sign. Stop, construction ahead, the road is closed. He is warning us all with the truth about the true and real fruit of his church. At this final judgment, each of us will have to answer for ourselves before Jesus. We will not have our parents with us. We won't have our teachers. We won't have our friends. We won't have our pastor or our elders. No matter how wonderful they were in our lives, we are going to stand before God without them. We are individually responsible for our answer to him on the final judgment. There will be those, interestingly enough, that Jesus tells us, who will say to him, Lord, Lord, who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. To the contrary, only those who do the will of Jesus, Jesus' Father, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is telling us here. And so the question I think before us is, what is the will of Jesus' Father that we need to do? It's an incredibly important question. But I'm going to defer it just for a little bit, the answer to it. Let's first notice in what these people who cried out, Lord, Lord, are putting their confidence in as they stand before Jesus on the last judgment. On that day, they will say to me, is Jesus telling the crowd, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name? Those are great things to do, aren't they? Many of us have never done some of those things. Listen to what these folks are trusting in as their confidence before God. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? Please notice that these are not uninvolved people in the name of Jesus. They are not just followers of Jesus who are present on Sunday and then uninvolved in the rest of the week. These are people doing active, doing many works. These people are active professing their significant labors in the name of Jesus Christ. These are people who are active doing great works among mankind with maybe very few peers doing as much as they are doing. These active professing followers of Christ are not pagans. 
They have accomplished these works in the name of Jesus, no other. They are not lying about what they have done in the name of Jesus because their professions of what they have done are never brought into question by Jesus in his response to them. With the promise that Jesus will send these people away at the final judgment, what hope is there for those of us who do not accomplish such great works of human effort in the name of Jesus? A true Christian answer to Jesus' question or to the question that I posed here about what is the will of God is if we rely upon our own works, we have no hope. At the last judgment, their pleas will be their own works, even though they're saying it's in the name of Jesus. They're still looking to their own works, not the work of Jesus Christ. What do these workers of great human works not say in their own defense? Listen to what's absent. It should echo throughout our lives what is missing in their statements. They say nothing about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. They say nothing about his substituting himself as an atonement for their sin. They say nothing about Jesus taking upon himself God's wrath for their sin. They say nothing about him being their savior. Because they do not believe in and confess upon Jesus' work alone as their savior, they are not saved. Even a demon has said he knows something of the truth about Jesus. I know that you are the Holy One of God. But this demon is not entering the kingdom of heaven, just like these folks that Jesus is talking about are not. If we, like these folks, are relying on anything that we do, even the thinking we are adding to what Jesus started in us, we too are lost. If we think that because I attended worship services all my life, we are lost. If we think that because I served as a leader in Christ's church, we are lost. If I believe because I tithed in my giving all of my days, we are lost. If I think that because I taught in a Christian school, we are lost. If I think that because I held evangelistic meetings, we are lost. Or raised lots of money. Or obeyed God in all my family ways. Or helped the poor whenever I could. Or aided the weak and the homeless. Or fed the hungry and visited those in prison. We are lost. Isaiah 64 tells us in verse 6, But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our neighbor's acts are like, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. They argue that they deserve heaven by what they have done. They do not see themselves as sinners fully and completely dependent upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ for their righteous standing before God. But they see themselves as righteous, a sinner, as that tax collector stood way back in the temple. As the Pharisee stood and proclaimed before the crowd just how much he had done. And Jesus told in that little parable about that 
tax collector, that he alone went away satisfied as he cried out, have mercy upon me, a sinner. They do not confess the grace of God and the sinfulness of themselves. Whatever the message they proclaimed, it was not the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They accomplished many great human efforts and works, and even though they said it was in the name of Jesus, it was not. For their motive, their meaning, and their message were of man, not of God and Jesus Christ. Let's take a look here just at it very briefly. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, they needed reminding of what the gospel is, just in its simplest form. And I think it's valuable for us in our day and age to hear that regularly, to remind ourselves the simplicity of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, found in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Paul emphasizes there in just that very simple statement of the centrality of the work of Christ. He doesn't talk about anybody else accomplishing anything what Jesus did. He also writes in the letter that he sent to the church at Rome when he was in prison and clarifying for them the good news of Jesus Christ in Romans 3 verses 20 through 28. For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus then what becomes of our boasting it is excluded By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by a law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith without relation to the works of the law. And then Jesus here in verse 23 of this passage we're looking at this morning. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Imagine living a life with someone you thought you were in close connection with. 
and coming down to the last point and they look at you and say, be away from me. I never knew you. I hope the thought of that word to any one of us here this morning would overwhelm us with sorrow that I would never want to hear that word from God and Christ. I never knew you. Jesus does not pronounce judgment until after they have made their defense. Due process of the law is established by God and upheld here by Jesus. They speak and Jesus responds. I will declare to them, I never knew you. I will declare to them, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In Romans 8.28 and following, the Apostle Paul writes of God knowing his people in Jesus Christ. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That first verse, I'm sure many of us know that. And we cling to it rightly in all times and circumstances because it is true and we can take it to the bank every moment of every day. But there's so much more that Paul gives to us in what's involved in being the people of God. For whom God foreknew, God also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might, his son might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom God predestined, these he also called. Whom God called, these he also justified. And whom God justified, these he also glorified. Jesus makes it clear that there was never a time when he did not know his people. It wasn't that they had been known. Jesus makes it clear that there was never a time when he knew these people. And there is never a time when he does not know his true people, his very bride. It wasn't that they had been known by Jesus earlier and now that they had turned away and lost his affection. No, they had never been known by Jesus, ever. Jesus did not foreknow them, predestine them, call them, justify them, or glorify them. Jesus refers to their great human works as works of lawlessness because they had sought to establish their own worth before God by their own actions, which is contrary to God's law. The, illegal, the legal use of the law for us is to know about our sin. The law teaches us how far away we are from Christ's righteousness. It was never given to us as that which we could obey to attain favor with God. The illegal use of the law is for us to use it to try as a, it as a basis of our righteousness and justification before God. That we try to follow every aspect of the law in order to gain God's favor. We look back into the Old Testament and we see the sacrifices that were offered and they were a testimony to the followers of God and Christ that it takes a complete sacrifice. We must have a mediator that goes before us to be able to be at fellowship with God. And it's not the blood or bulls and goats that we'll sacrifice, 
that will atone for anything was only a sign. It would take the sacrifice of the God-man who is Jesus Christ and His alone. And any time we try to add anything to that, we deface the reality of all that has been accomplished in Christ. What What then does it mean to do the will of God? By no means is Jesus saying here, and nor am I, saying that we should not do all that we can to the best that we can that is honoring to God. But it is never claiming any of that before God as that which makes us righteous in His sight. The will of God is a synonym for a right belief and trust in God through Jesus Christ. For all that we count for righteousness. Then follows God-honoring actions that are focused on reflecting God's magnificent glory and not trying to achieve any merit for ourselves. It's somewhat like when we were kids growing up. We at times had the wrong idea about trying to please our parents. Some of us might have tried very hard doing great in school or athletic achievement or perfect behavior to gain our parents' favor. When our parents' favor was already there and all they really were looking for was a reflection of that love that was there. Jesus is asked this major question as recorded in John chapter 6, again within a larger audience. Then they said to Jesus, what must we do to do the works of God? And here is Jesus' answer. Cutting to the quick. This is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. That is our work. And we are able to accomplish it by God's gift of of faith, his mercy and grace, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's believing in Jesus. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in the Son may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day, not send him away. Believing and trusting in Jesus for everlasting, for everything, is doing the work of God. In Matthew chapter 12, we hear these words, Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. As we draw this to a, a closure, let's think about spiritual fruit and good fruit. Spiritual fruit does not mean just the physical works that we do, as good as they are and valuable. But it also means that which is believed and trusted, that we're not misled by false prophets, that we see true fruit. Good fruit is a right and true understanding about the living and about and living in a complete dependence upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ, imputed to his people by faith in him alone, not trying to add anything of our own doing, and by God's grace alone, through none of our own merit, to the glory of God alone. The ongoing temptation is great for believers and unbelievers alike to trust at times in the good things we do to find favor before God. You may have encountered that this morning, thinking well of yourself, I'm heading to worship. Or I'm well of myself. I didn't get in an argument with my children or with my spouse. 
I didn't get angry with another driver on the road. What will be your daily moment-by-moment response? Will it be your works or lawlessness? God, why is this happening to me? When we look at the circumstances in our lives, it is certainly fine to ask God questions about what is happening, but it is wrong when we are questioning God for the things that are occurring in our lives. Will it be full dependence upon Jesus Christ's complete work of righteousness applied to you by his gift of faith to you and all of the chosen? That's where we're tempted on a moment-by-moment, hour-by-hour, day-by-day basis. And let me close with just these few words here and then a, a closing verse. The greatest thing we have to offer the world is the good news of Jesus Christ. Your good works are wonderful. All that you have to give, your talents, your time, your energies. But what you have as a true treasure is you know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can proclaim it where it needs to be proclaimed. In some cases, you alone can proclaim it better than anybody else in this room because it's the place where God has put you. And it's a wonderful treasure, worthy of selling everything in order to have it. The greatest thing we have to offer the world is the good news of Jesus Christ, a true and right teaching of what Jesus Christ alone did for the glory of God the Father and for the blessing and benefit of his beloved children. There are false prophets, there are wolves out there in sheep's clothing, and we have been called to reach out for our fellow sheep. It is most beneficial to always keep this precious truth in front of us so that we add nothing to the great and complete work of Jesus Christ. All of our good works, when done in faith, are simply and clearly a testimony to the greatness and glory of God in Jesus Christ at work in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Each and every moment of each and every day, we are ever at a crossroads, needing to choose between two truths, all of Jesus or ourselves in some way. One path leads to true and everlasting life. The other path leads to eternal death. Will you fall prey to the false prophet's bad fruit? Or will you continually recognize and trust in the true and good fruit of the gospel of Jesus Christ and feast on it only? Here are these last words as I close that Paul wrote to Titus as he was called to go and establish churches primarily in the island of Crete. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life.
Let us pray.